You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your head. I hope it's your head. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews. I'm back for another week of Blue Jays talk. I was on a bit of a sojourn to the far-flung reaches of Nova Scotia, where there was little to no internet connection to speak of, which is why I was silent for the most part on the weekend, save for, you know, a couple random tweets out there. But yeah, I'm back. I'm here to basically celebrate, for the most part, a successful series for the Blue Jays, which we haven't had many of those to celebrate, at least not against teams that, you know, aren't basically composed of AAA players. Hashtag Baltimore. But no, the Blue Jays went into Seattle, and going into Seattle seemed like a tough test. But the Blue Jays took three out of four from the Mariners. And yeah, basically what today's episode is going to be is a celebration of the good things that we saw as a Blue Jays fan base, from the Toronto team in that set. And we're, we're going to talk about both pitching and hitting aspects there. But first of all, we, we obviously have to start with the fans who showed up in Seattle, the Western Canadian contingent showing strong out at Safeco Field. Um, numerous complaints from Seattle fans and Seattle radio hosts just like Toronto is taken over and, and how is this a home game it's it's your own fault Seattle honestly like Canadians come down and double the gate receipts you get double the concessions that you get probably not selling much at the M shop but just pumping so much into that economy and and they're able to do it because Seattle does not turn out for this team they they just let Toronto fans do it. So if you don't want the Blue Jays to have the run of the place and spur the team to a series win that the Mariners desperately needed, considering how hot Oakland's been lately, and Oakland just acquired Mike Fires right before I started taping. So Oakland's fortifying itself for a real run at this. And Seattle needed results, and they did not get them because the Blue Jays did not give it to them. Spurred on by the fans, perhaps, uh, multiple Blue Jays said it had a playoff-type atmosphere being in there and playing the Mariners, and they responded. They responded very well, and we want to talk about that here on Locked on Blue Jays. And we're going to start with the offense because the offense was incredible for the most part. I mean, I... If you had told me heading into this series that Kendris Morales was going to have, like, one hit, I would have said, oh, no, what are the Blue Jays going to do? Morales has been their best hitter. But no, so many other Blue Jays stepped up and and delivered offense, especially for, like, Ryan Baraki, who's been crying out for offense the, the entire time he's been up with this team. He finally got some in his Friday start in that 7-2 victory. And... I just want to hi- highlight the fact that 
it's guys who the Blue Jays have absolutely needed to see offense from. Because, like, Kendris Morales has been a pleasant surprise, but Kendris isn't going to stay very long. Like, he's going to run out his contract, maybe get traded, maybe not. But he'll be that good clubhouse presence. But he's he's not the guy who they need to see offense from. They need to see offense from guys who are potentially part of the 2020 solution, part of the 2021 solution, continuing to go along like that. And for the most part, the Blue Jays got it. And let's let's start with Randall Grichuk, who went 7 for 18 this series, served as a leadoff man for most of it, and did an excellent job setting the table for the Blue Jays a lot, especially in that Barucky start. He went 4 for 5. Had a double off Marco Gonzalez, which is continuously on base, continuously a thorn in the side of the Mariners, and just a, a much needed series to see out of Grichuk. He raised his batting average up to two thirty um to two thirty one. Sorry. Uh the Ofer on Sunday didn't help, but he he was up to two thirty five at one point, which for a guy who was struggling so badly at the beginning of the season to get up to that point and, and be that consistent contributor. It, it's huge to be able to say that's a potential piece. That's a potential leadoff person who the Blue Jays can bank on, um, especially since Curtis Granderson's not going to be around at the end of the season. Let's not, he might not even be around by the end of the week. So let's not get that twisted. But then another guy who the Blue Jays needed to see some kind of offense from was Devin Travis. And Devin Travis had seven RBIs in the series. It it was insane. He finally got elevated out of that nine slot and responded with back-to-back two-for-three performances on Friday and Saturday. Again, Sunday, a bit of a letdown, but that was going to happen uh, against a veteran starter like Mike Leak, who's really started to come on as of late. So... But Travis was able to build on what Grichuk did. And how many times have we talked about on this podcast needing to be able to chain hits to to build big innings or, or to just be able to manufacture a run when you're not getting a home run ball? And the Blue Jays, for the most part, in that weekend series against Seattle, were able to do that. They were able to string together singles and doubles and and build on bases and and find hits when they needed them. And that, that Saturday game wasn't great for it. I mean, the, the Blue Jays grounded into four double plays in that game. So any other time the Blue Jays do that, you think, well, they scored no runs, but no, because they were able to manufacture enough outside of that off James Paxton to, to take advantage of opportunities to advance bases and, and just deliver solid contact. Like that, that two run signal that Travis had, off of Paxton in the top of the third. Huge. Absolutely huge hit. Because how many times have you seen Randall Grichuk stranded on the bases? Or, or Kevin Pillar stranded on the bases? For, for Travis to go up there and get the necessary hit before Justin Smoke came in right behind him and hit into a double play. Like, so many times the double play would have come first. So... Travis being up that high in the lineup and being that kind of catalyst is a huge thing for the Blue Jays moving forward. And we haven't even talked about Oledmus Diaz yet. Diaz was on another plane during this series. He was 7 for 13. He batted 538 with three home runs and five RBIs. And yeah, a couple of them were the only shots they had against Leak, but that actually tied the game. 
Aleb Misty has coming up there and being able to do that. And the big thing about Diaz coming over was, yes, he was a natural shortstop, but he also had a power stroke that the Blue Jays had not had from a backup infielder. Like, Ryan Goins was not a threat to hit home runs. Darwin Barney was not a threat to hit singles out of the outfield. But Alemis Diaz does have that, and he had five extra base hits in that series, which shows that his power stroke really is starting to connect. And if that means that Diaz plays more, and with the acquisition of Brandon Drury, they can play him at third base and give Jan Hervis Solarte some time off, which Solarte has needed the last couple months because he's just been a shell of the guy who came out blazing in April and May. So if you can run with a configuration of Drury, Diaz, and Travis, and then when Lourdes Gurriel comes back from the DL, work him in there as well, that'll bode much better for the Blue Jays than having to run Jan Harris Solarte out there all the time. Because honestly, it's probably in the best interest for this team to try and move Solarte at this point. Because when you can build up an infield that has Drury, Gurriel, and Travis with Diaz operating as a middle infield backup, then you're putting yourself in a much better position moving forward to have consistent offense in the lineup. Diaz providing consistent offense right now, as opposed to Solarte, who's been more of a black hole. And and we didn't even talk about Teoscar Hernandez yet. Teoscar had a good performance as well. Not just it was 5 for 14 of the series, but four of those five hits went for extra bases. He had three doubles and a triple, which is what you want to see out of Teoscar Hernandez. You want to see that power stroke firing on all cylinders. Now, the Saturday-Sunday performances left a lot to be desired out of him, but if he can keep refining that power swing, that's going to be the main thing for Teoscar Hernandez moving forward, is get that power swing down and be able to play passable defense in the outfield. There still may be a ways to go on the ladder, but if he can find that power stroke, it bodes well for the former. And and we're, we haven't talked about Russell Martin yet. Russell Martin's discovering his power stroke again. He's 5 for 11 so far in the month of August, but he already has two run, home runs. He's slugging 1,000 so far in the month of August, which I think might be more than the rest of the season combined if you take them on a month-to-month average. Probably not that low, but still... Seeing Russell Martin being able to deliver home runs again and and rediscover that part of his game and and try to lift his average above the Mendoza line. Just a lot of good things happened on offense in that series against Seattle. And and even guys who aren't necessarily there yet. Brandon Drury's just come back to major league level uh, competition. He had a two-for-four day on Saturday. He raised his average of 169. It's starting to come together for a lot of these guys. And that's all you want to see at this point for the Blue Jays' offense is just some semblance of momentum, some semblance of rediscovering form, because it was absolutely gone for most of June and July. So if, if the Blue Jays can find it in August and carry that momentum forward into next year, they won't be as bad as people think. Will it be a playoff spot? I don't think so, because Houston and Boston and New York are still going to be good. But it it just gives you a little more confidence that this team is going in the right direction as opposed to watching just directionless baseball in July. And yeah, again, it's heartening to see. It's so good to actually see it come to fruition. And it came in support of some great pitching performances that we are going to talk about right after this. So let's talk about the pitching and how much that seemed to improve in the Seattle series. 
And the big reason for that improvement was the performance of the starting rotation in that series. And we'll nominally include Mike Hostchild in this because he was meant to be the starter. If he had signed like any point in time before like half an hour before the game, Hostchild would have gotten the start against Seattle. Maybe wouldn't have been a special, but Hostchild delivering six innings, Ryan Barucki going out there and pitching like he knew he had to do better to get his first win. He didn't have to do that much. The Blue Jays finally came through with for some runs for Barucki, but that performance on Friday night was masterful. Eight innings, only four hits. The one run allowed was unearned. Didn't walk a batter, which is huge. Only struck out two, but that's that's all right with Barucki. He's a guy who pitches to contact and works quick, gets those weak ground balls, those weak pop-ups. And he was so successful at doing that on Friday night. He's the first Blue Jays pitcher to go eight innings without giving up an earned run in over two years. Marco Estrada was last to do it on May 30th, 2016. Um, in between there, Marcus Stroman had an outing where he allowed four runs, but none of them were earned. You ended up pitching eight, but again, you give up four runs, even if they aren't earned, you're not going to win that game. So Barucki was the first to win that kind of game in over two years. And Again, I saw so many happy tweets on Twitter about how composed Barucki was, how he knew exactly what his game plan was, how he was able to execute his pitches in where he wanted them. If he wanted it outside, he would have put it outside, but he was in full control of the strike zone there. And that's what you want to see out of Barucki. You want to see that kind of Mark Burley surrogate. And if the Blue Jays can say they have that Mark Burley surrogate, you can pencil him into the rotation for the next 10 years. And that is a huge thing to be able to say about the Blue Jays. Because even after 2020, you can't for sure say Stroman's going to be there. You can't for sure say Sanchez is going to be there. So to have a guy like Barucki, who is already showing that he can be that dominant force, that's like five years solid. We got the starter. We got one slot figured out. We don't have to go and throw $10 million at Jaime Garcia. And then you figure, okay, well, Saturday night, James Paxton against Marco Estrada. This this is going to go as well as everyone predicted. But no, Marco Estrada went out there, and maybe he was charged up by the fans as well. But he looked like old Marco Estrada out there. Seven innings, one hit, one earned run, walked a couple. But again... He was in control of the strike zone. He threw 66 of his 93 pitches for strikes. When was the last time you could say Marco Estrada approached two-thirds of his pitches for strikes? Because he's been all over the place this year. But for that one night in Seattle, he dialed it back and, and had his control working in his favor. As opposed to just handcuffing him and putting him all over the place. He, he was able to pinpoint. He got 15 strikes looking. Which, again... For, for a guy who relies on his fastball changeup, to be able to, to get that many looks at him and not get those swings and not get guys able to barrel up baseballs, that's huge for Estrada's success. It might lead to him going out of town, but at this point, I think people would be rooting for Marco Estrada to go chase that ring anyway. And then I don't know if there would be as much support for him coming back as Hab, but if he delivers starts like this, I mean, the door's going to be open. So, again, it's it's great to see Marco Estrada do that. And 
And I know Sam Gaviglio took it on the chin on on Sunday, but even he wasn't terrible. Uh, five and two-thirds innings pitched, allowed three runs, struck out seven, which that's a remarkable to- total for Sam Gaviglio to put up. Again, he was hitting the strike zone. He was, he was getting strikes. He got 17-looking strikes in that game, which is great. But it, it all came undone a bit. And we, we do have to talk about the elephant in the room, and that's another poor performance from Joe Biagini out of the bullpen. It seems like he's just come apart uh, lately. And again, the home runs were a problem. He gave up home runs to Kyle Seeger and Nelson Cruz, and that was jammed on for the Blue Jays because they weren't coming back against Alex Colome and Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz picked up his 41st save. He's, he might have 60 by the end of this, which I believe would be cha- challenging records. I, I think the record's like 63 for most saves in the season. I'll, I'll double check. But against a dominant closer like that, you you can't afford to have your pitchers giving up easy shots like that. And Biagini's just been giving up way too many easy shots. His, his batting average for the season is still high. Opponents are hitting 325 off him. And when someone's looking like Tony Gwynn against you, it's, it's not a sign of success. And, and like I saw on Twitter that there are reporters calling for Biagini to be sent down to Buffalo to try and work on things. But what does that really solve? Like, who who's coming up from Buffalo to replace him? You want to give Craig Breslow run in Joe Biagini's place? Um, you you cut Al Albuquerque. Um, Tim Mays is going to be up at some point because they're going to need another lefty. But just what purpose does it serve Joe Biagini in a lost season to be sent down to Buffalo? He might as well work it out here. He might as well rediscover himself against major league talent as opposed to being sent down to Buffalo and, and just being exiled. Cause if, if you're doing that with Joe Biagini at this point, if you're saying he can't pitch on a team that claimed Oliver Drake off waivers, then you're not showing any kind of faith in Joe Biagini. So I don't see the logic in sending him down. And I, I think, like I said, at this point, it's just best to let him work it out in Major League action. And it, it will it, it will come to him. If it's going to come to him, it will come to him. But sending him down to Buffalo is not really a good solution for any aspect of the Blue Jays. And I, ju- I just found the record for say It's 62. It's K-Rod. K-Rod had 62 in tw- 2008. So Edwin Diaz is going to very much threaten that mark. The way Seattle wins these games, he could easily hit 65. So that that's something to watch for, I guess. See if Edwin Diaz can reach that plateau. But we want to close with the new Blue Jays closer. And, and we appreciate the bridge that a guy like Luis Santos ga- gave there. Luis pitched a good inning on Sunday. Well, I'll give Luis credits. He, he hit his spots. He was in control of things. That was a good outing for Luis Santos, so let's give him that. But mostly I want to focus on the new 8th-9th combo for the Blue Jays, and that is Ryan Tapera and Ken Giles. And for Ken Giles, the the big thing being made out of him was that he, he needed the adrenaline pumping, he needed the intensity to to come out there and really do things. And 
his first outing on Friday night was a bit rough. He gave up two hits, um, a double and a single. Double ended up coming home, which running on two outs, I mean, you, you were going to have that happen. But he struck out the side, and he was hitting high 90s on his fastball. And he came out on Saturday, did the same thing, didn't, didn't strike anyone out, but he was just grooving pitches in there. And was very effective. And Tapera pitched two solid innings, which had been a rare sight out of Ryan Tapera since he was asked to be the closer. So this new eighth ninth dynamic, Tapera gets to go back to something he's comfortable. Giles gets to go back to something he's comfortable because Houston had taken him out of the closing role. And that's when all these runs started coming on for Ken Giles. That's why his ERA is hovering around five. He's perfect in safe situations. He's a guy who feeds on adrenaline and sometimes it overwhelms him. Um, Again, we all remember the gif of him punching himself in the face as he left Yankee Stadium. But when he's able to channel that adrenaline, he's he's just able to find that extra mile per hour needed to put a guy away. And I I actually had uh, a question on Twitter. I I know it's not Fan Friday, but we're going to we're going to be extending Fan Friday from all the uh, all all the responses from last week but um i i want to talk about a message that i got on twitter and it's from at old idiots goes by real disruption on twitter and they asked if giles was going to be worth anything at next year's deadline and yeah if the blue jays choose to go that route giles would net a hefty return if he has this kind of form going next year, if he's showing he's going to be that closer, if he has like 30 some odd saves and the blue Jays aren't really into it, they could trade Giles for a big return. But the other option is keeping Ken Giles because Ken Giles is under team control until 2021. So he has the same amount of control that a certain former blue Jay had, and he has a much better off the field record than that former Blue Jay. And essentially the Blue Jays getting Ken Giles and and having that kind of control, it gives them a lot of flexibility because if he's looking good, but the team isn't, and maybe there are setbacks like Alanis forbid, Vlad Jr. gets injured or Bo Bichette gets injured. But if injuries like derail another season, then yeah, you can entertain offers for Ken Giles, but you do not have to be pressured into making a move with him as you did with Jay Happ or John Axford or Sung Hwan Oh. You can take the time and really get what you want out of it and and be perfectly fine if you don't trade him because you're still getting a top-of-the-line closer who's not even 30. So it's actually great, and it, it shows what the front office has been able to do minimizing the risk and, and having that kind of flexibility to make it, uh, to make a deal or not make a deal. So that's a big thing to consider with how Ken Giles is performing and it'll be something to watch for the rest of this year. And I, I thank you, uh, real disruption for that question. And I'm, I hope I answered it properly as we come to the end of another episode of Locked On Blue Jays, this Monday Musings edition. Just you know, it's a it's a feel good Monday, and we don't get to say that very often. So I'm I'm pretty happy 
about everything. And I'm, I'm so happy that I get to share this with you guys. I, I missed it. Um, I spent a lovely weekend with my partner, but I, I do miss you guys on Twitter because you, you make Blue Jays watching and reporting just, just that much better <laughs> to, to have that kind of interaction. So if you want to get in on it, uh, follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's N-E-O-A-C-1-8. Join the thousand of others. I have to say 1,000, but still, I'm very happy I get to see say 1,000 because of you fine people choosing to follow me. And um, I'm sure there's like one bot in there, but mostly people. So I thank you so much for that. Uh, follow the podcast at Locked on Jays to make sure you get access to the podcast the second it comes out. And subscribe to iTunes and Google Play. We're on there. It helps us out. It, it gets the visibility up and, you know, we can start attracting more people like the Kelly Wallaces of the world to come onto the show and, and discuss w- other baseball topics. It doesn't have to be just Blue Jays all the time. Probably won't be at, at the end of September, but we will consistently deliver Blue Jays knowledge to you, the fans, because we appreciate all that you do in listening to this program. So for everyone here at Locked On Blue Jays, I'm Ryan Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening and y'all take care.